let's just take a minute, and uh, I'm going to ask you if I'm going to ask you to pray. Uh, got this. Um, I've just been reading a lot of prayer requests from folks in the Ukraine, and this one was really simple. Maybe this can help direct your prayer, and then I will pray for us, and then we're going to say the Lord's Prayer uh, all together before we open up the Word. But this was the prayer request. First, to stop the aggressor, but then for peace of mind and to respond with Christian character and not from human hate. So... Um, Let's pray for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine and uh, Russia. Obviously, there are many people who don't want this in Russia. Um, and um, I know those churches, even in Ukraine and Russia, it says here that they are speaking to one another and they're praying together and they're united in the Lord across their borders. Um, so let's pray and then I'll pray for us and then we'll, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer. Or we... Um, we bring our prayers before you, and we thank you, uh, Abba Father, that we can run into your presence uh, with these prayers, and I pray that we'd keep praying them. Uh, Father, uh, it's hard. Uh, yeah, it's just incredibly hard to watch uh, evil and uh, injustice and... Um, power and abuse of authority and things of that nature play out like this uh, on so many people, millions of people. Uh, and so we pray, uh, Lord, that it would stop. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that you would thwart the plans of the aggressor uh, and that it would even turn back against them uh, and what they're trying to accomplish and um, forcefully taking over uh, this land and taking it from these people. It's wrong. And we, we declare that and we know that. Uh, and we stand against that, uh, Lord. We pray for the Ukrainian people, for the Ukrainian church, uh, Lord, that you would strengthen them, Lord, uh, comfort them, draw near to them, give them courage and wisdom, Lord. It's uh, heartbreaking to see families separated. Uh, we pray for the people who are trying to get to safety that they would. We pray for the people who are staying in the unsafe space uh, to fight for their homes, uh, that you would keep them safe, that you protect them. Uh, Lord, we pray for the leadership, golly, the leadership of Ukraine, for the president, uh, for wisdom, uh, courage. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, that for sanity, uh, for those who are the aggressor too, Lord, I, it's hard to even pray that out loud, that you can miraculously do something to make them walk this back. Um, but you're the God of miracles. We're going to study that this morning. So would you do a miracle there? And would you give us uh, as a country, uh, our leadership, uh, other Countries and communities, a lot of wisdom about um, and con conviction resolve about how we are to be implicated in these things. Um, Lord, it is complicated, um, but I pray we would look to you, the King of Kings, uh, the Lord of Lords, uh, who uses your authority uh, in such a humble, self-sacrificing way. 
uh, and that we would follow you, that we would have Christian character and not human hate. Pray that we wouldn't be afraid um, for ourselves, uh, even, Lord, as it's easy to be. Uh, thank you uh, that you do hold us in the palm of your hand, all of us. Uh, so we give you these, these prayers. Uh, stir our hearts to continue to pray. Uh, we love you in your name. Amen. Say the Lord's uh, Prayer together. Is it going to be up there? All right. We'll do debts, debtors. Cool. <laughs> All right. I'll start us. Our Father. The, tr the trespassers and the debtors had an arm wrestling match there. <laughs> Kiddos, K through five, head to your class. Um, all right. That was a hearty laugh. We, uh, we started a series a few weeks ago. Uh, it's called Be Curious. If you're new here, um, we're glad you're here. Hopefully you're curious about what's going on here. But it's called Be Curious in the Search of the Real Jesus. And we are looking at different encounters and interactions every single week that people had with Jesus because it seems like, uh, this is true throughout the scriptures, that every time someone experiences Jesus, uh, he actually does something. He transforms their life. He changes something about their life or even just about their view of life. Jesus meets people where they're at, but he rarely leaves them where they're at. And so uh, we're coming to these encounters because uh, we're also acknowledging that oftentimes, um, if especially if I don't have a life in the Word or spend time looking at the Jesus who's given in the Word and presented to us in the Word, it's very easy to kind of start having ideas about Jesus that either kind of culture or my own imagination informs. And we gotta, we got to come back to Scripture to actually see, is the Jesus that I'm claiming to follow really the Jesus as he's revealed in Scripture? I, uh, I read a quote from Anne Lamott this week that said, what's the difference between God and man? God never thinks he's you. Um, that, that's a pretty good way to set up the series, that when we come to the real Jesus, we see who he is and we see who we are, and he's not confused about that, but we might be. So uh, this encounter, Jeannie Gossie is going to read for us. This is Mark 2, 1 to 12. Uh, it's quite an encounter uh, that not just a paralytic man, but a bunch of people have with Jesus. So Mark 2, 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him in to see Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. 
When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. God's word. All right. So I've asked us to kind of put these lenses on uh, every time we read one of these encounters. One is just, what, is, what does Jesus want to reveal? What is he revealing about himself? Uh, what does he want people to experience and know about him in this encounter? And then also, what does it reveal to us about the human condition? Like, what does it say? What does Scripture say to us about us, right? What does it say about him? What does it say about us? So two things that, and there's, a, there's more things that we could, we could talk about, but the two things we're going to focus on this morning in this passage. One is this, the need that Jesus sees in this moment, all right? He sees a need, and he sees the deepest need. So the need that Jesus sees, and then the need that Jesus meets, Okay. Those are the two things uh, for you note-taking types. So the need that Jesus sees. Um, I, I'm probably dating myself a little bit here, but do you guys remember, uh, I remember when the Vertigo album came out for you 2 It was kind of one of their big comeback albums, at least it was for, for me as a child of the 80s. And do you remember when they had the, they decided to do a concert uh, in New York City on the back of a flatbed trailer that was unannounced, and they basically put the whole band on the back of the trailer and they drove them through the streets of New York City, and they were just playing the album, playing music, and people started realizing, like, oh, hey, that's, that's Bono. He's on the back of the trailer, and they, they filmed all this and ended up in a concert at the base of the Brooklyn Bridge that evening. But if you remember the video of that, I mean, people, um, as they began to really figure out what was going on, it created, all the way down through Times Square, this just hysteria. I mean, you got girls on, and guys on cell phones like, like, leave your job right now. Get outside. Bono's on a flatbed truck, and he's playing the music. And people are just literally funneling out of their, you know, their jobs. And people, you know, it's like Ferris Bueller. They're hanging out of the windows and cheering. That's what's going on right now uh, for Jesus. Jesus has begun to teach, preach. He's performing miracles at this point. And people are like, like that U2 moment. They are flocking to get a glimpse says here that he's in a house teaching. It's packed. It's standing room only, you know, all the way out the door. And this paralyzed man and some pretty incredibly committed friends decide there is absolutely nothing that is going to stop us from getting an audience with Jesus. Now, maybe you've heard this passage, you've read this before, and maybe the focus of the, the teaching has been on being these, be these sorts of friends. It's great if you're this sort of person. I hope you have these sorts of friends that are committed to getting you to Jesus. I hope we're these kind of people. That's not what we're going to talk about this morning, uh, is, is kind of the tear the roof off uh, for your buddy. They decided, though, we were going to do that. We're going to tear the roof, hole in the roof. I won't talk about the architecture of homes in those days. 
the homes that are getting thrown up these days might might be much sturdier. You know, they're going up so quick. So, but they lower him down, which would have been a serious interruption, right? I mean, just imagine for a second if literally some of these, you know, and someone was like, hey, up there, we would stop everything we're doing, right? Serious interruption, but Jesus doesn't see it as an interruption. He seizes it as a moment to do something very, very shocking and very, very significant that is far more reaching than just in, you know, addressing what's going on with this paralyzed man. It says there, when Jesus saw their faith, he says to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven, which in many ways would have been like lighting a stick of dynamite. Uh, for the people in the room. That was a serious thing that Jesus was saying. So there's a lot going on in here. Uh, It would be really easy for us to kind of get tangled up in the different roads uh, that are available, but I just will kind of slow walk it through here, so hopefully we won't get lost, all right? Um, First off, I would encourage us that we should operate, and I think this is where they were coming to Jesus from, we should operate under the assumption that they were bringing this paralyzed man to Jesus for a physical healing. That was what they were doing in that moment. They weren't coming there for him, Jesus, to say, son, your sins are forgiven, right? This rooftop entrance, uh, they weren't even trying to get him necessarily down there for the teaching, right? They were bringing him there to be healed because Jesus had been doing that already. He had already healed just prior to this. He had healed a man of leprosy. So they were hoping that Jesus was going to heal this man of paralysis. So the expectation was, or the hope was, is if we can get him there, we can just get him in front of Jesus, right? Get him there. If Jesus sees this condition, because we've heard that he's able to do this, he can, and we hopefully believe he will do something about that issue. And so they get him there. And Jesus, obviously Jesus being Jesus, he does see the fact that he's you know, paralyzed, that they've lowered him down on this mat, that he couldn't get himself there. He sees them. He sees their faith. Jesus sees his condition, but based on Jesus' response, what he chooses to say to the man, Jesus is actually displaying something about himself in this moment. Something very crucial, which is is that he has the vision, the ability, the capacity, because of who he is, the depth of vision to see into this man's deepest brokenness and his deepest need, which is greater than his paralysis. Jesus sees his condition, but his response and what he offers the man, he's basically saying, I see the whole of your condition. I see it all. I see the whole of your condition, and I'm not, I'm not saying what I'm saying to the diminishment of your physical need. That is real. But by offering you forgiveness for your sins, what I'm actually doing is is I'm giving you something in this moment that is far greater than just stepping into what's going on with your physical paralysis. I'm giving you something far more vital, far more long-lasting than just relief to your current condition and your circumstances. Now, I just want you to think for a second, like put yourself on that mat, put yourself in their shoes. Because again, the expectation is, the hope is, Jesus is going to do something physically for this man, right? And you can imagine there would probably potentially be a degree of disappointment. You know, would you kind of feel that way? Could you feel that way? Like, my sins are forgiven. Like, 
is there a part of you that would kind of say, uh, thanks. But I was hoping for the, you know, the, the walking part of this experience, right? Like one time I took some high school students. This is actually, I remember this was connected to the Ukraine uh, to help move some furniture out of an old barn that was going to go to a hospital in the Ukraine. And the guy said, get a bunch of high school guys. I was a youth pastor at this point. Bring them up here. It's going to be a long, hard day. We'll, get, we'll give them something you know, for doing this. So I'm like, okay. So I recruited all these guys, and we go up to Kentucky, and we move all this furniture. I mean, it is back-breaking work all day long. And at the end of the day, I'm kind of, the high school guys are kind of like, so are we going to get paid? And I'm like, just hang on. I don't know what the arrangement was. And this old guy goes back into this barn, and he brings out a can, like an industrial commercial kitchen-sized can of butterscotch, liquid butterscotch that has expired for like 20 years ago. And he's like, you boys like butterscotch, right? And he handed each kid a can of butterscotch, including me. And that was our payment for moving all of this furniture. And I kind of wonder if this guy was, felt like that, like, thanks for the forgiveness of sins. I don't want butterscotch, right? Jesus isn't giving him butterscotch here for moving the furniture, right? He's, he's giving him something that is literally solid gold that he doesn't even fully understand. And the point is this. I really believe this is the point of the passage. Jesus sees and meets the deepest need. And the deepest need is not just the physical paralysis. It was for the man's sins to be forgiven. That was the foundational issue. And that wasn't just his biggest need because you see Jesus gets into some other people here It wasn't just his biggest need, it was everyone's biggest need in the room. This issue of sin, it wasn't the physical need, it was the spiritual need. You can maybe say it like this, he was physically paralyzed, but until Jesus was doing what he was doing for him, he was spiritually dead. What we see in Jesus is, is I'm committed to your eternal need, your greatest need, your deepest need, not just your temporal one. It doesn't mean I don't care about it, but my commitment is to that. It says there, when he sees their faith, I would even go this far because I know I'm going to see how far I can wade into this. When he sees their faith, we kind of think in terms of like, what did Jesus see in them that kind of triggered and made him do this, right? I think there when it says when he sees their faith, because they are exhibiting faith, you know, in who he is, like he can do something about this need. He can actually step in and meet this need. When he says there that he sees their faith, it is faith in who he is and it's faith in what he could do. But his response, go with me here, his response shows them that the faith that they are exhibiting is something deeper than they even understand at the time. That the faith that they have, when he sees their faith, Jesus is seeing something that scripture would say in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that you, know, you are saved by grace and that is through faith and that is what? The gift of God so that no one can boast. That what Jesus is seeing, that there's a faith that is at work by God. It's not just them and their belief in Jesus. God is working some belief in them. He is giving them the grace of faith through the Holy Spirit in the life and in their heart. And Jesus is seeing that. They don't understand who's in front of them, but they don't even understand the faith that's at work in them 
that caused them to break through that roof and come down and get in front of him. They don't understand that Jesus is not just a miracle worker who can take care of this physical problem. He's the Messiah who is the Savior of the world. You see, faith in Jesus, when he says there, he sees their faith. Faith in Jesus, and this is so important for us. Oh, don't just stand really still. Faith in Jesus, biblically, isn't a faith that he will make all of our worldly circumstances right now copacetic. That he will make the things that I want to be the way that I want them to be. If that's your understanding of the faith that he's given you, your understanding of the faith that he has given you is too small. Our given faith, we don't have faith that we just muster up ourselves. It is given to us. Our given faith is a bigger faith than that. It's faith that Jesus has come to, to do more than just step into my temporal need. He has come in to reverse the curse of sin and to undo all of the brokenness that sin has done and created in the world. He has come, like we sang, behold, behold, I'm making all things new. That's what our faith is in. Not just for the here and not just for the now. Because what Jesus sees in this moment, he sees it all the time, but he sees it in this moment is he's seeing that everything that's broken right now is broken ultimately because of sin. That's why the world is the way that it is. It's reductionistic for us to say that my life or the circumstances of my life are just the effect of my own individual sin. That's, that's far too small of an understanding of sin. The world is broken because of sin, my sin, the sin that others have done to me, the sin that I've done to others, sinful systems that have developed all the way from our families, all the way up to all the forms and expressions of power and organized life, like what we're seeing play out on the geopolitical scale. Creation itself, scripture says, is completely broken and under the fall and the effect of sin. Sin is why the world is broken. And Jesus, this is the need he sees. This is what he understands in this moment. Until sin is dealt with in the human heart, no amount of temporal relief can or will stop the free fall of brokenness in this world. You've heard me say that one of my mentors has said to me many times, my Jesus knows what sin has done to me. Not just what sins I've done. He's just kind of keeping right. He understands the depth of what sin has done to me, what sin has done to this world. And so Jesus, in forgiving this man of his sins, and even, I would argue this, healing him to make the point of his power and his authority. I have the power and the authority as God to do this. Jesus is saying, I've come, son, because he calls him son, to deal with the deepest, most prevailing sickness and brokenness, which is sin. Your sin and the sin of the world. He's really saying the, the problem, guys, it's way, way, way bigger than you understand. 
So, but for Jesus to say, I'm going to forgive your sins, we have to stop and ask this question, well, how? How? Because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, right, they're, they're frustrated. They're angry. How, how can he actually say that? How can he forgive this man's sin? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God alone? Because when there's sin, right, that means that there's a debt. There's a distance that's created. We know this in our relationships. When we sin against one another, there's distance created. There's a debt created. So if there's a debt, and he's going to say, I'm, I'm going to forgive. I have the authority to forgive your sins. That debt, Jesus is acknowledging in that moment, that debt, for me to extend forgiveness, that debt is going to have to be paid for. It must be paid for, for real forgiveness to happen, right? We do that in our relationships. Like if I, you know, Garrett sins against me. Sorry, Garrett, you're right there and you're the person I saw. Garrett never sins against me. I'm kidding. You know, I could, I, if I'm in that position of the one being sinned against, I could say, well, okay, you have to do enough to, to you know, basically cancel the debt, right? Earn it. Or as the person who's been sinned against, I have to say, I will absorb the debt, right? I will be the one to pay the cost for that. So Jesus sees the deepest need, and the deepest need, the deepest healing that is needed here is, is to deal with sin. So how does Jesus become this need meter, the need that he meets? Let's keep going through the story here. I hope I'm making sense. Jesus sees everything. He sees this man's deepest need, but he also sees what? This group, the teachers of the law. It says they were sitting there, they were thinking to themselves. It's always dangerous to be thinking things to yourselves in Jesus' presence, Right? Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this uh, was what they were thinking and in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Someone's roof just got torn off, right? (laughs) Jesus just kind of came down into the brain space. Uh, Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, "Your your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? So Jesus, he knows the internal heart thoughts of these teachers of the law. And remember that if they were teachers of the law, these are people who were well-versed in the law. And they were, they were the ones who lived out this idea that to get forgiveness and to get right with God, you had to keep the law. That was the way it worked. You do things in order to get right with God. You perform the sacrifices. You, you, know, you sacrifice the animals. You're the one who has to spill the blood. Right? But they're angry because Jesus is claiming to be God in this moment because he's saying, I have the authority to forgive sins. And then he asks them this question, which is easier, which is really putting them on the spot to wrestle internally with what they believe about forgiveness. What do they believe about him, but what do they believe about forgiveness? And it's not an easy question to answer, honestly, at a face value. You should sit with this question because there's a handful of different ways you could kind of cut the pie here, but I'm going to, for the purposes of this morning, encourage us. It really depends on whose perspective are you asking and looking at that question from. Are you looking at it from ours, mankind's, or are you looking at it from Jesus's? So let's just say we're going to look at it from Jesus's perspective since he's the one who decided to ask the question and put it on the table. From his perspective, because remember, he's the one who asks the questions. Um, which is easier for him? To say to this man, take your mat and walk, 
or to say to this man, I forgive you of your sins? Which is easier? Because it appears easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because that's just saying something, right? There's no, there's no real-time proof for that. There's no test for that. Like doing something to heal the man. That is at least visible. We can see that. Like I could say to Mitch, I'll take Mitch for example here now. I forgive you of all of your sins, but I don't have the authority to say that to Mitch, right? All of your sins are forgiven. And even when we sin against one another and we extend forgiveness for sin to one another that we commit against one another, scripture says this, that we never sin against one another. Like I would never sin against Mitch without first sinning against the Lord. That's what David understood when, remember, he stole Bathsheba from Uriah and then he had him killed in the Old Testament, right? What did he say when Nathan confronted him? Against you and you alone have I sinned, Lord. Well, that's not really true. He obviously sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah too, but he understood something, which is is that I never sin horizontally and create this need for forgiveness horizontally without first sinning vertically. I've put something ahead of God other than, than God. God is not in the priority place in my life. In fact, I am. So Jesus is doing something. He's driving them with this question to something really, really important. And in many ways, he's not just putting them on the spot. He's putting himself on the spot. And he's putting himself on the spot. And this is kind of where he's, he's starting his march to the cross. Because he is saying, I am God and that I do have the authority to forgive sins. And yes, by performing this miracle shows that I have authority over everything, physical and spiritual, but <clears throat> to forgive sins, for that debt to be canceled, I'm actually pointing to the, to the road that I'm taking now. Like he tells that man, take up your mat and walk. He's saying to them, I have taken something up and I am walking a road now in order to forgive sins. And which is easier? Well, for me, it's easier to just heal this temporal need than to let myself be broken for your deepest need. It's easier to say, be healed, than to say, I'm going to grant forgiveness of sins by paying for them with my own life. Because that's what Jesus is saying. I'm not taking up my mat, I'm taking up the cross right now. That's the only way these sins are going to be forgiven. I'm taking up your sin, like Isaiah says, by his, or by, yeah, by his wounds we will be healed. I'm taking up the sins of the world. I'm taking up the shame and the separation from the Father that you could not bear and I will that you would not bear. Because for forgiveness to be extended, if, I, if it's going to be for, for real forgiveness, that debt to be canceled, for that to be just, a debt has to be paid. And so Jesus is saying to this man, and he's saying it in front of everyone, you can go home now. You can get up and go home spiritually and physically well because I've done something and I am doing something for you that is beyond what's happening in this moment that I am God in flesh and that I have authoritatively, authoritatively come down to earth. I have left my home and here is how I use my authority. I am going to be the one who is spiritually and physically broken so that you can be made whole 
and so that you and I may once again have peace and no distance between us. When he asks that question, which is easier, basically Jesus is saying this, I'm here not to take the easy road. I'm here to take the hard one. I'm here to take the road that only I can take and that only I can travel to open up a way that we desperately need him to do for us. So for us, um, yeah, where does that leave us? How should we engage with this? I would just tell you that I really believe Jesus was in this moment, I mean, obviously he did something pretty profound here, but he was expanding their hearts and their minds to the scope of what he came to do. He was revealing who he is. They're encountering the son of man. Like that's what he calls himself here. I'm the son of man. The son of man has come to do this. That's used 80 some times in the New Testament. Only two of them are used by somebody other than Jesus. Jesus constantly refers to himself as the son of man which for the teachers of the law and the people of the day, you know, he says there, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. They would have been thinking Daniel in the Old Testament and the prophecy that the ancient of days would appoint the son of man to come and he was going to rule the earth and have and receive a kingdom that would never end. So they're realizing, hey, this is the one Daniel was talking about. That's what he's saying about himself. Jesus is expanding their hearts and minds to the scope of what he came to do. And I just encourage us, yes, I'm sure, and it would be appropriately so, the paralytic and his friends were pumped about the physical healing. Like, wow, I got my sins forgiven and I got that physical healing. But we know, and I'm not going to say any more about this, but we know this, right? Jesus doesn't always perform the physical healing in the moment that we desire. And he doesn't promise that. Right? He promises, in this world, you will have trouble. But take my heart, you will. I have overcome the world. It's hard, I know, for me. I mean, I, we buried a friend this week, a 55-year-old man who's a fellow pastor. And we prayed. I'm, I, I wrestled with this very thing. Did I not, do we not have enough faith? I mean, we can go down those rabbit holes, can't you? Do we have not, not enough faith that he would be healed? It's hard to understand when God doesn't step in and intervene how we desire for him to do. What I would challenge is, for us is that I have to focus in those moments on what I do know to be true amidst what I can't comprehend that he's doing. That's the invitation. Because our faith isn't in our ability to have enough faith to get the outcome now from God that I desire. Biblically, remember, faith is that Jesus has secured the ultimate best outcome, which is guaranteed by his blood for us. That's the greatness of the faith that you have been given. That's why Paul can write in 2 Corinthians, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what? We fix our eyes on, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes. Not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Hebrews says, fix our eyes. We're on Jesus. The author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who authored it and he perfects it. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You are the joy set before him that he went to the cross. 
So we fix our eyes on what is unseen, but not what is unknown. Because what Paul said there is there's a glory that far outweighs the light and momentary troubles that we're experiencing. And scripture puts a lot of language to it. We haven't seen it yet, but it's not unknown. The new heavens and the new earth, face to face with God once again. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death, no more countries invading other countries by force. No more hunger, no more thirst, no more injustice, no more inequality. New, perfect, resurrected bodies. Thank God. This is falling apart, y'all. Playing for the tie is what I call it at this point. All of what I just said, Scripture says is yes in Jesus for you and for me. All of those promises. And so what? We fix our minds on that. And when we do, I actually believe this, we begin to be those who bring the hope and the peace. Even those who know how to grieve well in these moments as those with hope and with peace for the future day that is coming, that he secured by the debt that he paid for the forgiveness of our sins. All right? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you. Uh, honestly, there are so many days I, I don't, I kind of treat your forgiveness like the butterscotch. <laughs> like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. But make something different right now. Forgive me for that. Uh, would you open up our hearts and our minds to the depth of what you've accomplished uh, in paying for our sin and justifying us by faith um, and all that you did. Thank you that you saw our deepest need and that you were committed to meeting that. And thank you uh, that you met it, that you didn't make us meet it, that you didn't make us earn our forgiveness, uh, but that you, uh, as God, uh, you took up your cross uh, and walked and left um, the security uh, of, of what you had with the Father in order to come and be broken on our behalf. Uh, we love you, and we worship you, and we praise you. Uh, thank you for healing our deepest need. In your name, amen.